They saw a fig tree withered from the root. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you curse has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever casts says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Well, again, we're, we're picking up here where we left off last week uh, with uh, these couple of shockingly unique stories about Jesus. The first where he is hungry and curses a fig tree and dies and then uh, goes to the temple and violently throws people out of the temple and, and flips their tables over and, and so on. Uh, we're finishing that passage this morning where Jesus gives instructions to his disciples coming out of these scenes. Our, our task doesn't necessarily get any more, any easier um, looking at this part of the passage. F.F. Um, F. Bruce has a, a famous book, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, where each of the chapters takes on a, some of the more particularly difficult sayings of Jesus to understand. There's a chapter on these verses here, um, verses 23 and 24. This, this incredible promise that Jesus makes about moving mountains, uh, whatever you ask being granted. So we want to consider carefully together this morning uh, what Jesus is saying, both what he's not saying to avoid some pitfalls uh, that some have fallen in, but also the incredible, powerful promise that he is making, um, that we would use it and be encouraged by it in our our Christian walk. So looking at number one in your outline, uh, just reviewing last week again, Jesus came upon this fig tree. It was promising food because it had leaves. And we, we talked last week about how to understand verse 13. Uh, but it was promising food. It didn't have anything to eat. And so Jesus cursed it and brought that the worthlessness of it as a fruit tree uh, to light. Brought that to the surface and, and it died. And he did that not because he was lashing out in angry uh, hunger against the tree, but, but as an illustration. He used it as a, a sort of acted parable of what he was about to confront at the temple. Uh, and so he goes on to the temple and gives us a taste of, really, of God's judgment against dead religion. What was going on in the temple was illustrated by the tree. It was, it was making a show, an outward show of religion, but in, on the inside it was, it was dead. It wasn't bearing fruit. Um, the temple was to be a place of communing with God and receiving his forgiveness and worshiping and praying. But it was at least for many people, just a place of self-serving business and busyness, uh, particularly for the leaders of Israel. It wasn't bearing fruit. It wasn't increasing people's faith and hope and and love. Whatever faith seemed to be exercised there at the temple, whatever activity was was largely empty or a self-serving ritual in its place. And, And so Jesus' lesson for the disciples where we left off last week is summed up in verse 22, and, and we talked about this last week. Have faith in God. In other words, don't, don't be like the temple. But the lesson is you actually have faith. Have, have a real living, fruit-bearing faith in God, unlike the tree, unlike the temple. 
the Jewish leaders, again, were using the temple, using true religion for, for profit, for power, for social things. And, and we can see that in their resistance to Jesus, verse 18, looking for a way to kill him uh, at this point. Their religion wasn't about faith in and trust in God and, and obedience to a covenant God, but, but material and, and social things. And so Jesus says, you actually have faith. Let it be about faith. Faith in the true God is eternally fruitful. It's, it's worth so much more. It's so much more valuable than anything else that you could pursue, like what's going on at the temple. And so then in verse 23... And following, Jesus turns to a chief evidence, a chief outworking of faith, which is prayer. Uh, so considering number two on your outline, this is, this is where we'll uh, spend most of our time here. Uh, prayer. Jesus makes this incredible statement. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Well, what is, how should we understand this? What, what does Jesus mean by this incredible promise here? Well, some believe, some teach um, that it means literally what it says on the face of it. There's really nothing to, to consider that it, that it, means anything that you are asking God for, anything that you desire, that you're praying for, he will do if you do not doubt at all. Uh, if you believe it's yours already, that could be uh, growing your business or healing or finding a spouse or, or all kinds of things. The only reason you don't have something that you're asking for, according to this understanding, um, is because you don't have enough faith. You're, you're doubting a little bit, or maybe a lot, or you're asking hesitantly. You're not really believing that God is going to do this thing for you. You're asking maybe hopefully, but not with certainty, with, with presumption. Strong, pure faith. That's this understanding. This, this verse really is ground zero for what we would call the prosperity gospel movement or the word of faith movement, um, a number of things like that. And there, are, there are a few other uh, promises Jesus makes in the gospel that are very similar to this. Well, there are several problems with understanding this verse, uh, these verses in that way, applying them to anything that we're asking for, anything that we might come up with to pray for. Uh, one, which isn't uh, authoritative in terms of the scriptures, but one would simply be our experience, would it not? All of us have experienced many no answers from God. Um, painful suffering, that you know, a, a mountain of suffering, if you will, did not simply move because we prayed in all earnestness and faith. That's been true for all believers throughout all of history. Uh, prayers that ended with a, a permanent and a final no from God. Right? You're praying for this marriage and it ends in divorce or, or whatever it might be. Another reason that, that this understanding is problematic is, is the teaching of Scripture on suffering. The teaching of Scripture on suffering strongly refutes the idea that anything we ask for will be done if we ask in the right way. Uh, God, the Scriptures teach, God brings trials into our lives. Uh, every believer, by His will, 
Uh, can we suppose that if we pray in a certain way, with a certain expectation, we can oppose and resist the will of God and keep all trials uh, at bay? Um, there are faith healers who claim that they don't get sick because of their faith. They've, they've moved that mountain, they say. Um, but, but every single one of them uh, to this day has died or is still within a, a normal human lifespan. We can't resist uh, that will for God. Uh, another reason, then, is, is simply understanding these verses in context, in the context here, in the context of the Scriptures. Uh, first is just to note that moving mountains is clearly a figure of speech. It, it's clearly not literal language. Jesus speaks constantly in figures of speech. You shouldn't have any trouble understanding that. Um, He's not literally speaking of moving mountains. No believer has ever moved a mountain, sort of Jedi-like. Uh, that's, that's not what he means. It's a, it's a figure of speech for doing incredible, impossible things through prayer, but not necessarily literally moving mountains. Secondly, we must understand these sorts of promises of Jesus in the Gospels but, uh, to be promising that which is in God's will. Promising... That which is in God's will. When you pray within God's revealed will, uh, you can have this absolute certainty that whatever he has promised, even if it's as impossible as moving a mountain, will happen. Whatever he's promised you, it is yours. Uh, That's what Jesus is pointing to. We, We cannot apply these promises to anything that is in our wills. Just anything that we might desire or want, or pray for. I think that can be easily proven by by some simple examples. No one reads this incredible promise here and supposes that you could go and ask God for revenge against someone you hate at work. Right? Lord, give me an opportunity to kill Bob. Right? God doesn't answer prayers for sin or that kind of a desire. Um No one reads this incredible promise and supposes that you could go to God and uh, ask and expect to be able to fly like a bird. No one's ever done anything like that. Could God do that for you? Of course. But it has nothing to do with his will or his purposes uh, for this world as, as he's revealed those things or his promises. But Jesus certainly here points us to the promises of God for your life. You can be sure that what God has promised for your salvation, for your sanctification, for your future, he will do. No matter how impossible it seems or distant it seems or uh, improbable or hopeless given your circumstances, uh, he will do. What, what, is that, what does that include? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Paul begins the book of Philippians. Your life might seem like a mess or you feel like a failure or you're giving into sin or you've hurt others or whatever the circumstance is, but God's promise is if your faith is really in Him, He will carry that work on in you to completion. And you can pray with that expectation. God's Word promises if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Maybe we don't recognize what a, what a mind-blowing miracle that is, that, that a holy God would forgive us. Uh, James chapter 1 
God's word there promises promises to give wisdom to his people who ask in faith. Uh, men have been studying First Peter. We have their promise, an inheritance in, in heaven that is imperishable, untouchable. Even if you've lost all of your earthly family and inheritance and you know, you've, you've acted foolishly and, and so on, there's nothing you can do if you're in Christ uh, to ruin your inheritance with God. It's kept, um, it's kept untouchably. That's a certain prayer that God will answer with yes for eternity. You face powerful temptation against which you have no ability or strength in yourself to to oppose. God promises to provide a way out of temptation for those who are his. Jesus promises to return again. And we could go on and on with, with the promises that we can pray in and for with this expectation. And here in the immediate context of, of Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 11... Jesus is challenging his disciples to have faith, to have real faith. Unlike what they just saw at the temple and see all around them. To have real faith that produces kingdom fruit, that produces useful fruit for the kingdom of God. And and again, the disciples and you and I have no more ability in ourselves to do that than to fly like a bird. That's a, a, a miracle of a promise of God. The Holy Spirit, though, does not fail to produce love and joy and peace and patience, fruit in his people as they ask. Just to confirm that understanding of this passage, in verse 25, Jesus immediately then gives an example of praying for something that's utterly impossible within the promises of God. Verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, I think the implication is that you you need to pray to be able to forgive. <clears throat> Forgiving other people who have hurt you is uh, against every human instinct to get even, to retaliate. Uh, it takes the supernatural regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. It's as impossible as moving a mountain. Well, we come back to the, the difficult question, though, here of what, what about... Other good things that we rightly pray for, many things we pray for, that are not specifically promised in the scriptures. Does this passage apply to those things? Jesus says all things for which you pray and ask. Does this have broader application? You know, you're praying for safety through driving a snowstorm this week or the healing of a relationship or or whatever it is. Does Jesus promise here apply to that? The answer I want to give is is no and yes, a, a qualified yes in a sense. First, the, the no, in, in the most direct, explicit sense of Jesus' promise, it applies the things he has promised in his word, as, as I've been saying. We, we simply have no certainty about many other things that we pray. We rightly pray for them. We rightly bring them to God. But, but we don't presume you cannot presume upon God as you're driving down I-25 in a snowstorm that just because you've prayed in strong faith and you've not doubted and you've believed that you're going to be okay, that nothing bad could happen. You cannot presume upon God in that way. 
when you know when those sorts of things turn out that that God has a trial for you despite your prayers, where does that leave your faith? Did God fail? Did your faith fail? But the answer is neither. We're, we're, we're working in the wrong category there. But, but let me get to the, the yes answer by, by touching on the last reason that we can't apply this promise just to anything and everything that we might desire or pray. Again, the, the other reasons I gave had to do with our experience, the teaching of Scripture on suffering, and, and the context here. But the, the last point is understanding of, of faith itself. The word faith, what faith actually means. And I want to begin making this statement about faith that may sound a little stronger or maybe even a little provocative in terms of how we usually talk about faith. But I think it's essential to understand this. And it's this. There is no power, zero, in your faith. There is no power in faith. Another piece of, of teaching that is uh, of this understanding of this passage that's in error, um, the, the name it and claim it sort of understanding of this, is that faith is a powerful tool that God gives us to use. If only you learn how to use it, and we have enough of it, and we use it to the fullest, sort of like having a, a power tool. If you only know how to turn it on and turn it up to full power, that, that faith functions like that for us. Here's a couple of examples of how that's that's stated. Um, a couple of quotes, and, and it's not important where these come from, but uh, the first is, Faith in Jesus Christ is the greatest power available to us in this life. Your growing faith in him will move mountains, not the mountains of rock that beautify the earth, but the mountains of misery in your lives. Your flourishing faith will help you turn challenges into unparalleled growth and opportunity. Now, pulling that quote out of context, we could understand it in some way that maybe is is, is biblical and right. But um, I, I know where it's coming from. Uh, it's sharing the view that faith is powerful to turn misery into success and achievement in your life now and automatically. Um, here, here's another quote. It's simply, no matter what your mountain is, ask God to give you the faith to move it. In other words, you need more faith. Faith is powerful. Um, if your faith is without doubting, if it's pure, God will do incredible things for you. And so I want to reiterate, faith is utterly powerless. Faith is important. Faith is what it is. Faith is a great gift and grace of God because it has an object. It's the object of your faith that is powerful. God himself there is no power in your faith. Spiritual power and answered prayer depends on God himself. Praise God. Not the kind of prayers that you pray or the degree of purity or, or maturity in your faith. Again, that first quote I read, faith in Jesus Christ is the greatest power available to us. No, Jesus Christ is the greatest power available to us. Not something that you do. It's Jesus himself. Do, do you remember how Jesus taught this, this very point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 17? So he makes a very similar uh, statement to the disciples there in Matthew 17. He said, through their faith, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. 
Jesus said to the disciples. What kind of faith then, in the very next verse, what kind of faith did Jesus say would move mountains for the disciples? He say level 10 faith or, or 1,000 megawatt faith? No, he said faith like a mustard seed. Jesus, by his own words, explodes the idea that, that you have to have this strong, pure faith to see certain things happen. He says no faith like a mustard seed. Just the tiniest sliver of real, genuine faith in God as the object of faith would move mountains figuratively. Again, that's because there's no power in faith at all. So faith like a mustard seed, the smallest faith you could imagine, will move mountains. What Jesus is saying here is not that God will not answer you if your faith is not pure or if you ever doubt. The emphasis here is on the realness of faith. He's not making a contrast between weak faith and, and level 10 faith in this passage. The contrast is between fake faith of the temple and real faith. Any real faith at all. That, that's the contrast and the point. This relates to the sense in which I say the answer is, is yes, in a sense, to whether this, this promise applies to other prayers that we rightly bring to God that we don't have assurance about. It, 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 it relates in the sense that you have a powerful God who answers prayers. Those answers don't depend on you at all. They depend on God and His power and His grace. So it's good and right to bring everything to God in prayer, knowing that He's a God who can and does do the impossible. And there are many mountains that He has promised and will do. There are some mountains that we are uncertain about that He will do, uh, and some things that He will say no or say wait. But thirdly and finally on your outline, I, I just want to continue the thoughts a little bit about application of these things to us. Again, we need to, I think, totally reject the word of faith, etc. teaching on this passage. But yet not in a way that swings us to another extreme where we diminish the promise of Jesus here. It, it is... The teaching that Jesus promised has to do with your everyday concerns, anything that you might ask that diminishes the promise here. Uh, rather than focusing our attention on the, the certain unfailing promises of God. This should remind us, this, this promise here should remind you of the boldness and the confidence that you have in prayer. Uh, just thinking in terms of our human relationships, if you have a loving dad, you don't wonder whether he will listen to you or do whatever is best for you or care for you. Uh, ask God for mountains. Ask God for impossible things with boldness and confidence. Hebrews 4 encourages us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, or Ephesians chapter 3 uh, speaks of this being according to the eternal purpose that he, that, we, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I just want to encourage you to, to use the promise of Jesus in your prayers. Our prayers tend to be dominated by um, 
the category of things that are not covered by the promise here explicitly, things that we don't have certainty about. And again, we ought to bring all of those things to the Lord. But I think this passage should encourage us to pray more within the explicit promises of God. Pray for things that God has promised. Promised to give us. I think the Psalms are a great example of that balance. Pleading with God for things that are that are uncertain that the psalmist needs, but also often praying within the promises of God, praying for things that the psalmist is certain of. Uh, we as a congregation need to be praying in this promise. We have mountains to move as a congregation through faithful prayer. Uh, mountains that God promises to move. Uh, even if we don't know how he'll do that or when, um, but that we can't budge on our own. Like any church, we face threats or mountains, if you will, of division or unbelief or jealousy or pride or materialism. Uh, among us, we face a, a hostile culture around us uh, and on and on. But Jesus promises that not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. He calls us to pray that his kingdom would, would advance, that he would grow our ministry to his glory, uh, to sanctify us, uh, to make us more loving, more humble, more effective and eager in our witness to, to this city and, and our culture, to pray that God would give us wisdom to know how to care well for each other, uh, how to... Um, witness to and serve our community and so on. And God will do these things for and through his church as we ask him uh, boldly. Um, it may not be in our timing. It may not be as we envision it. It may not be the comfortable way uh, that it goes. Uh, but believe that you have received his promises already and they will be granted to you. They'll be granted to us. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this uh, incredible promise about prayer uh, and encouragement to faith that you give us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through uh, your servant Mark this morning. Uh, help us to really believe and internalize uh, your promises and the way that you use prayer to work those out in our lives, the many things that you promise to give us, desire to give us. Lord, make us more eager uh, and faithful in prayer. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.